We have been involved in a series in which we've been trying to discuss how to train children preventively from getting themselves involved in all sorts of problems that later on become patterns for life and that they find deeply ingrained in their lives and that are very difficult to change later on once they become adults. The time to really try to break these patterns and to replace them with biblical patterns is when children are still children. We've talked about facing up to problems rather than trying to avoid them as Adam did in the garden when he hid from God. Uh, facing one's own guilt and assuming that responsibility and confessing it and repenting of it rather than blame shifting as Adam and Eve both did in the garden when God faced them with their sin. Doing things right away so the person doesn't become depressed by putting things off and having them build up and then finally uh, following his feelings so that he doesn't do anything and finally he's lying around the couch. But handling difficult matters whether we feel like it or not. Planning in a disciplined and structured way by scheduling so that things get done right away and they don't uh, just get uh, agreed upon but never actually get accomplished. And then finally, last time we talked about returning good for evil. The great tendency of every child, because it's built into him as a sinner, is to return something in kind to the one who has given it to him first by uh, hitting back or spitting back or speaking back the word of of uh, threat or the word of uh, 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 the nasty word to another child. But now there's one problem in all of this. All this could be looked at as pure moralism. All of this could be looked at as just uh, don't do this and do that because it might be better for you and you'll get along better that way. And of course you do get along better when you follow God's word. But it isn't moralism. Just as when we talked about blame shifting, we said that there was only one proper way of blame shifting, and that is to assume one's own blame and then shift the blame to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God provided as the substitute for our sins. So this time we want to talk about the proper motive behind doing all of these things, because that is most essential, most critical, most important that children are also taught, along with these proper biblical patterns, that they must do these things not because of the response that they get to this. That is, they won't lose their friend if they don't hit him, or uh, they'll uh, feel better if they get this matter done right away and they won't, don't let it drag on and on and on. Though these things are all secondary goals and secondary factors that God has built into the universe, and they have their place. They can never be the primary goal or the primary reason for obeying God. The real reason for obeying God is because God says so. We do it to honor him, to bless him, to praise him, and to serve him. And we do it to honor and bless and praise and serve him for two reasons. Because he is our creator and because he is our redeemer. Because he is the one who made us and has a right to tell us what to do, we ought to obey and must indeed obey him. But because we are sinners, we fail. And then he who recognized that failure in man and provided for it sent his son to shed his blood on the cross for our sins. And out of love for that son, we who come to know that son of God serve him 
in order to honor him and thank him for what he has done for us. I suppose it comes out as clearly as anywhere, though it's all over the Bible, of course. In that passage in Colossians 3, where Paul is talking to slaves and how they have to obey their masters on earth. And then Paul goes on to say, but don't do it with external service as those who are seeking merely to please men. Well, then how do you do it? Not just in order to please men or in order to get a pat on the back from your master or in order not to get into trouble with your master. Those are all motives and biblical motives, but not the prime biblical motive. What is the prime biblical motive? Here it is. Do it with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, not half-heartedly, but heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. There's the biblical motive behind all of these things that we teach our children. And if we teach them to do these things only to avoid evil consequences or only in order to receive the pleasure and the rewards and the good feelings that come from obedience to the will of God, which will come, we still are teaching our children a humanistic attitude toward life. And I'm afraid that there's too much of that around in the Christian church today. Too much that stresses doing things for horizontal purposes. What we can get out of it. What others in our society can get out of it. The peace that it brings to homes. The joy that it brings to hearts. The uh, confusion that it settles down. Now it does all those things. And they're all important goals and motives. But all those things must be secondary and must, in the way that we teach our children, be made secondary to this prime purpose. Now, it's not easy to do that. It's hard to say to a child, you've got to do this because God says to do it. It's easier to say to a child, you're going to do this or you're going to get it. It's hard to say to a child, you've got to do this because you should be loving Jesus Christ. It's easier to say to a child, if you don't do this, you're going to get into trouble with all of your friends and lose them. But you see, that's exactly where we must turn the emphasis around and get our children to think in terms of God first and man second. The first commandment, to love God with all of our heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, is the great commandment, Jesus said. The first commandment, the most important commandment. And to love our neighbor as ourselves is the second or the secondary one which follows even though it has much similarity to the first. That order must be always presented to our child. That emphasis always must be made. That must be prime in our thinking if it would be prime in our teaching to our children. So that it is whether Christ is honored that becomes critical in everything that we teach our children. Now, we can talk about somebody who has helped us out of a mess. Perhaps you're walking along the street and somebody sees a car's about about to hit you and he jumps in front of the car and pushes you out of the way and he's hit himself by the automobile. And there he lies in a pool of blood. Do you just walk off and say, well, everything's great. I can just go my own way. No. 
you appreciate that person. You do anything for him to help him. You go to the hospital, you buy him flowers, you bring him candy, you do anything he asked you to do. Well, Jesus Christ didn't just get wounded. He'd actually for us died on that cross, bore the penalty and the wrath of God and suffered the awful agony of bearing our sin, becoming sin for us. The one who was never a sinner himself in appreciation, out of love, in response to his love that was primary and before ours, we must teach our children to serve Jesus Christ in all these patterns that they develop. Lord, help us to do that. It's not easy, but we must. And we ask it that he may be first. Amen.